Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler, back after a one week vacation where I ate all of the lobster to be found in Maine. I have Mike Lim and Michael Lee from Tobio Sushi coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host for this week, Linda Salinas, bartender, beverage expert, uh, all kinds of other things. Linda, welcome back to the show. How are you? I am living my best life. Uh, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad you're here. Uh, let's start. Let's just dive right into the news of the week. Uh, no bigger story, perhaps, than that Andrew Zimmern, he of TV, podcasts, all kinds of food media, uh, spent the weekend in Houston dining at, uh, as far as I can tell from stalking him on Instagram, six Houston bars and restaurants, uh, Better Luck Tomorrow, Hugo's, Crawfish and Noodles, uh, the original Ninfas, uh, Himalaya. Himalaya, yep. And... Uh, the other get it together gatlin's gatlin's barbecue gatlin's i don't want to slight gatlin's barbecue (laughs) um he's going to turn these six visits into a half hour tv show called the zimmern list this is his new show for the travel channel it's been very successful let me just ask you if you were going to tell people six restaurants to eat at in houston those are his six how do you do I think he did fine. I mean, it was all a big PR blitz. I mean, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with doing having great PR. Everyone needs it, but you know, it is the exact opposite of what you know, parts unknown was, right? Except for Himalaya, right? Except for Himalaya, but you know, but it's but like and those are totally different writers, well, right, you know. Well, right, three so so three all three of the most recent crop of James Beard award winners, right? Mm-hmm. He covered uh, Hugo Ortega, Justin Yu, obviously for Better Luck Tomorrow, and then he ate with Chris Shepard at Crawfish and Noodles. Yes, and at Gatlin, so he he got Chris covered. Yeah. Um. Let me just let me just ask you, because I I went to Himalaya last night and I talked to Kaiser, uh, for a little bit about this experience, and he's still kind of blown away when this kind of press attention comes his way because he's like, we don't have PR. We, we don't have a marketing budget. We don't have art on the walls. You know, he only took the desk, his desk out of the dining room a couple of years ago. Um, is it is it a little bit weird that, that Himalaya of all of these the, no, and crawfish and noodles have no, become? No, I, I do not think so. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Himalaya. Once or twice. Uh, but I'm talking about people that are listening. If you've ever been to Himalaya... Um, it's really about the hospitality that you get with there or the lack of in 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 little in little India or Chinatown or anything like right. that. It's like either you're gonna either be blown away, you know, with like an overwhelming like here, let me walk you through the you know, walk you through it and, and that's what Kaiser's really good at, you know? Um or the other hand is uh get out of here. Here's, you're the, trash. here's the menu and good luck. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> well, no, they'll take your money. They'll take your money. They'll always you know take I mean? your money, but they may not offer a lot of guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But he's been. But I mean, I mean. But let's be. Um, let's be very clear. Kaiser's really good at taking care of people in his dining room. You know, yes. I don't know how many times we've been there with just a, three of us or twelve of us. He's he's good at spotting. Like, hey, let me take really good care of you. So. Yeah, and he's and he uh, he doesn't he doesn't have PR, but he does take excellent care of all of the media members that dine with him. That's right. And he is very proactive about reaching out to people. Uh, I I can count on more than one hand on the number of times I've gotten a, a text message or a message on Facebook that's like, "Hey, come in and eat tonight." Like, uh, I, ha- I am making. I'm making the chicken fried steak, steak or whatever it is, or crawfish masala or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't always say yes to that. Like sometimes I have plans. Yeah. But sometimes I get that I get that message, and I think to myself, "It's been a while since I've been to Himalaya. It's time to go to Himalaya." So that that keeps Himalaya kind of in the mix, absolutely. Which leads to these this national attention, and for crawfish and noodles, it's kind of the same. Th- crawfish, I don't have the same relationship with the crawfish and noodles folks, but they have leveraged their relationships very well to be put in a position to be included in things like this. Uh, obviously, featured in David Chang's Ugly Delicious episode. They're that was just too big damn news for them. expensive. Eleven ninety nine a pound. Get out of here! I'm right, just we like, were crushing crawfish at Saigon House for about eight bucks a pound. Yeah, eight eight ninety nine. Um, which they made me really mad a couple weeks ago. But you know me. You know, the bloom me. is off. No, no, we're keep moving. I'm not going to ask you about. We're it. not. Asking, we're not talking. We're about not that. talking about it. The bloom. Uh, but but again, this kind of enshrines them no. as. You know, there's a lot of places to eat uh, Vietnamese crawfish in Chinatown and crawfish and noodles over wild Cajun, over L.A. crawfish, over any of the other ones that I could name has emerged as the representative of this movement. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, so one of the one of the but I what really kind of is driving me crazy now is, is that y'all crawfish season is over. Yes, it's over yeah, generally I think of it like what, like okay. I, so, like in a in a maximum way, Christmas to June first. More practically for me, like when I want to eat crawfish is about the beginning of Lent until about the beginning of May. Like yeah, yeah. my birthday is May 9th. That's it. That's probably about the last time I'm. Yeah. Eating crawfish. No, I mean like so to still be eating crawfish in July is too late. No, it's too late. Move on, to, move on to crab. You know, yeah. No, 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 no. Crab. It's crab season. It's anything else. Do not eat crawfish, you know. Uh, but I do think this will be a fun half hour of television. Uh, I did, for, for an article on Culture Map, I talked to a couple of people. I traded a couple text messages with Justin Yu. Yeah. Traded a couple emails with Jonathan Horowitz, who's the CEO of the company that owned Ninfas. Yeah. Uh, talked to Kaiser. All three of them were very impressed by how prepared Andrew Zimmern was. Yeah. He had specific questions about the dishes he was eating, yeah. how they were prepared. He I, talked re- to- I mean, I really hope that they that they they give him that cabrito flautas business. It is the best damn thing at Nymphas. They, they that- gave him octopus. Okay, that's funny. And they gave him a whole fish. And, of course, they gave him fajitas. I will tell you, mm, I had mm, mm, lamb no, barbacoa tacos there that kind of blew me away. No, you need to you need to stop playing. You need to stop playing, and you need to get on this cabrito flautas with birria. So it's birria is like like this um like kind of like this thick, beautiful like rich brothy soup, 
And you see it in Mexico City, like, served, like, as a little, like, like side side soup, you know. Um, but it's, like, big, rich, and fatty. And then it comes with these flautas. And oh, it's so good. But anyways, and, you, and you need to get that. Anyways, and I will just say, I like that he chose Gatlin's. Because uh, I do feel like it's a little bit underrated, even though it's a Texas Monthly Top 50 barbecue joint. I feel like it's a little older. It's been just maybe in my mind, maybe a little bit overshadowed by really some into, of the I'm new not, places. Yeah, I'm not really into barbecue, so okay. don't ask me. But uh, <laughs> but I do like what Greg is doing, and I do like what uh, Chef Michelle is doing over there. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they do with that. All right, let us move on. Uh, we have to talk about a closing because, you know, closings are you know newsworthy, and and we're talking about, uh, especially when it's a place that's been around for as long as the Queen Vic Pub and Kitchen has. Uh, its eight year run comes to an end July fifteenth. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think of the Queen Vic as kind of one of the first places in in terms of a restaurant. To kind of jump on craft beer and to kind of yeah. jump on craft cocktails. Cocktails. I yeah. mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when they when they opened, you know, it was just what, a year, a year or two after Anvil opened? That's right. Yeah, because twenty ten is so Anvil opened in two thousand nine. Yeah. And so I remember going by there with my snobby nose over there being like, Well, how can they making these drinks over here? I mean, obviously things have changed a lot. In the city, but they've, um, I mean, I've had great, I've had great cocktails there. Um, uh, they've, they've always had a pretty good program. It's the execution's always been a little. Yeah, the execution you know, should be just a little bit hit or miss, but yeah. I, I do think it's worth thinking back to how surprising the Queen Vic was because up until then, Rick and Shiva Derviglio, who owned that, had only had the little Oporto in Greenway Plaza. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing, there's nothing about the original Oporto yeah. that would let you think, oh my God, they can also do a really fun British Indian pub yeah. with great cocktails. But they did that, and now they have the Oporto in Midtown that's beautiful yeah. and, well, and let's, popular. Well, and I, what I think is very interesting is, is that something like the Red Lion, right? Yes. Okay, so the Red Lion still crushes. It, do they crush because they're a bar or do they crush because they're a restaurant or is it because the kitchen can execute and still people can have drinks there? Yeah, I think some of it is that atmosphere, that kind of Britishy atmosphere that sort of transports you away from Shepherd, right? Like yeah. you, you pull in off the street and you're in jolly old England or at least what we sort of imagine yeah. that place to be. I mean, I think, I mean, I keep talking to people about you know you know i mean we go places and i'm like it's really hard it's really hard to like win with just a restaurant now if you have a, a just like a bar with food i mean i think that people are more willing to forgive you i mean i i said that with kaya onze we tried that this week we're coming to that like okay. don't don't step on that because we're coming sorry. to that in a minute um, but, but what I'm saying is, is that I think that the reason why Red Lion Pub, you know, you can forgive like, oh, we kind of forgot a little bit, you know, we, we'll just have another drink, you know, that's fine. Now at Queen Vic, if you don't get a drink for six minutes, it's like, you know, 
Yeah, it's more of a restaurant environment, and your expectations are a little higher. Your expectations are much much higher, you know. And and it's worth noting, I think, they've been hit by kind of since that place opened, right? Pondicherry opened and kind of does their version of Indian food right down the street. Yeah. Kieran's open basically across the street from them. Yeah. So there's like, so you're craving for Indian food. If you're choosing one or the other, you're probably going to Kieran's. And I, I think I'm the only one that cares. I think I'm the only food writer in the city that cares about Kirby Ice House. But oh my God, that place is such a juggernaut in terms of its sales. Kirby Ice House? Are Kirby you talking Ice about House. Kirby's Ice yeah, House? Yeah, because, because you can get all of those craft beers and cocktails, Ugh. and maybe they're not quite as good. They're trash but, drinks. Trash. But people really like that place. And I so, mean, believe me, I go there. I think and it poached I, there. I so crushed I think it hurt beers their there, but yeah. I would not. I wouldn't give my dog drinks at that place. <laughs> but I would crush some delicious beers because I don't know who the the beer buyer does really well. I mean, I mean, like that's it's just a really like great craft breweries. Uh-uh, don't be giving me them nah, janky drinks. You're going to no. get angry text messages from the people who set up their Guess craft cocktail, who set up their draft cocktail. Well, you know what? If they would have called me for it, I would, you know, we wouldn't have had this conversation. That's right. You're still available for hire. You're, you're there to rescue their <laughs> cocktail program. But you know what? In all honesty, ice houses, I mean, you don't really don't need them, you know, like you really don't need a ton of like, I mean, I don't like nowadays you have a little bit, but. You really don't need them to make it. Yeah, honestly. but I think, but uh, but if you're the Queen Vic and you're counting on your happy hour business to boost yeah. your overall sales, I think that some of your patrons went to Kirby Ice House for that's the same even, pints. I don't think and, that's. I don't think that's. And and also because the Queen Vic had terrible parking. I mean, I don't know. I just I don't. You cannot say that Queen Vic and Kirby's Ice House can be even in the same the same. Well, they're like two blocks from each other, so oh, I don't think it's like completely they'd, they'd be like, oh, well, I think they're cools because uh, Cotta Rabada is is uh, is crushing these numbers. I'm like, come on, Eric. All right. Fair enough. All right. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> agree to disagree. Uh, will you miss the Queen Vic? <laughs> um, no, not really. Yeah, I mean. I, mean, I, wa- I want to know who's next. To take the space? Yes. I want to know who's next. It's an interesting location, but apparently it needs a roof. It needs a roof. Yeah, that's what that's, that's what, what that's Rick what inve- was telling me. That's what investors are for. Okay. <laughs> Bad landlord was the was the official reason they're closing. Right. They want to find a new location for it. Do you feel like it would work in the Heights? Uh, you know, I feel weird about in the Heights, anyways. But yeah, you can give them anything and they'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> if they're eating Tarka, they'd be really happy to have better Indian food from the Queen Vic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Get a Himalaya in in the Heights. I don't think Kaiser's expanding. All right. Okay. Sydney Degas, the the former chef owner of Cafe Azor, a restaurant we actually dined at. We did. Once upon a time. Mm -hmm. uh, Has opened a new concept called Mona Italian Kitchen. This is a fast, casual Italian concept. Essentially, you go through the line, you pick your pasta, you pick your veggies, you pick your topping, you pick your sauce. It's like... It's like nine dollars for a bowl of pasta. You had a meatball, and that's like three, four bucks to that. You're out for under fifteen bucks. Mm, okay. uh, fresh made pasta, fresh made sauces. This is an interesting follow up for Sydney because it's because the pastas at cafes are always pretty good. Uh, it's like it was like really well executed fine dining food, but fine dining is dead. 
Fine, right. Well, yeah, this was it wasn't quite as formal as fine dining, but sure. Fine yeah. dining has a very small audience. So he's going fast casual. Okay. I'm intrigued. Are you though? A little bit. Outside the loop? Well, I look. Come on. I'm going to drive to Katie one time to try it cuz it's my job. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. It's literally my job to to do these things. Okay. Am I going to make it a am I going to make it a regular road no matter how good it is. It's not going into my mm-hmm. rotation. All right. But if one opened in the if one opened inside the loop, would you would you try No, it? I would not. No. I would not. Cuz basically you're you're just going to Polly's, you don't really care. I, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I would I would go to Polly's and if I really want to get get it right, go see the boys at Passing Provisions. Those boys crush. Or maybe Giacomo's. Or who? Giacomo's. Oh, Giacomo's too. Love Giacomo's. Like and you know what? I just don't like I think inside the loop, I'm sorry. Um, why would I want to make my own decisions in doing a bowl? Like what? Like well, that that so that's the one thing. It's like it's the Chipotle model. Yeah, that's, but you can ruin your bowl with the wrong combination. Exactly. That just sounds like you're playing Russian roulette with your taste buds. You know, like Russian roulette, like. This sounds like a great idea. Let me put these, you know, like, and then I don't know. Let me, let me put zucchini and pesto together, and or and which that sounds delicious. I'm good, but I'm a but I'm a green eater. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I'm like, okay, you're gonna run through the line, and I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. I say, no me gusta. See you later. Thank you, bird people. You can have this one. All right. Well, we'll see how Katie responds to it. It's a lot, of, a lot of fun. We were talking about a Katie sushi restaurant here. Oh goodness! In a little bit. Not you. You won't be around for that part of the show. But but it's just, it's, but dang, it's, but it's dang, exciting times. When it's oh, just when it's getting good. Exciting times in Katie. All right, and then I do want to ask you about about one more thing. Uh, report in the Houston Chronicle from a couple of weeks ago. Allison Cook has news that Lasco Enterprises has hired Eric Hastings to run their wine program. Uh, Eric used to live in Houston, then he went to New York, and he did a whole bunch of wine stuff for people like... Most importantly, Jean-Georges. So, yes. yes. And and I've actually seen him run some beautiful service, as far as Jean-Georges is concerned. I mean, as far as just in general New York. Like, um, he's very talented. Well, good. So So here's the question then, because even though the tasting room is a wine bar... Mm-hmm. It is not the kind of wine bar that appeals to wine nerds in the same way that a place like, say, Camerata or 13 Celsius does. Mm-hmm. But Eric Hastings is legit, mm-hmm. 100%. Well, I think it's very... In- well, okay, so the Lasco, Max's Wine Dive, Tasting Room, all that other stuff, they have been famously known to hire staff. Yes, and then immediately, like, oh yeah, we're we're doing this, we're, and then all of a sudden it's like fizzled, like never mind, like flash in the pan. Well, you know? so they they just hired Brandy Key to to run all their food. Well, and that's what now I they thought. have Eric Hastings doing all the wine. Well, you think it's going to stick this time? I, I guess mean, that's the real question. I I just you know like the first time I I heard that Brandy was going first off Brandy's a a monster like she's just amazing right we had Brandy on the show she was wonderful yeah she's great um and she's an she's a great chef but when I first saw that they, she was going I was like oh how long is this gonna this is how long is this gonna stick and then 
I heard that Hastings is coming back. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are these guys trying to turn like their normal, you know, their normal, like, this is how we do things? I mean, I'm hoping that it sticks. You know, I'm hoping that it sticks um, because I think they do need to stabilize what they have, you know. I think people are starting there. I don't, I don't think anyone, anyone's ever going to bite on their heels, but people are coming up with stuff. You know what I, uh, I mean? We're going to see. Uh, well, think about a place like Postino, right? Like yeah. Postino is kind of the younger, hipper, yeah, smarter version of the wine, the, the cool wine bar with food. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and um, I hear that there's another wine place opening up in Edo, which is, you know, a little something coming along pipeline wise. So that's Edo people. We've got some, some news for you in a couple of weeks. Um, and we'll talk about that later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes when you see these like big moves, it's like, well, let's, let's just, all right, put your big, big boy shorts on and let's see what what can happen, you know, with, with these programs. So I don't know. We'll just see. Yeah. So you're in a wait and see mode. You, you, you want to know if, if Eric Hastings is still there in six months, yes. you'll be impressed. I want to, let's talk about it around Christmas. All right. Or you know what? Better yet, January is the real, you know, is the real kicker, you know. But anyways. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right <laughs> back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? All right, Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about the happy hour, the, the sampling that we had at Calle Onze. This is the new uh, Mexican restaurant in the Heights from the owners of Edison and Patton. Uh, Calle Onze is a, is a big step up for them. I mean, Edison is uh, very much a bar. Uh, Calle Onze is more of a restaurant. It's got a prime location right next to 8 Row Flint, right in the heart of the Heights. Um, I think before I talk about what I thought about Calle Onze, I'm going to throw it to you. What did you think of Calle Onze? Um, Calle Onze is a big old bowl of white gravy. Like, it is, like, just ripe for the picking. Like, it is, it really is. It's like, it's Heights people, very, very, Heights people central. Like, um, really wonderful, like, the like their little patio area is yeah that landscape patio with the fake grass and the it's agave turf yes astroturf and uh, agave uh, really nice furniture um, yeah those wooden floors the wooden ceiling wooden ceiling open kitchen it's a nice looking of, restaurant tons of mezcal and agave spirits you know like, yeah 400 that's what they told me 400 different bottles I, I mean i'd I like to see how how much they actually sell well sure it's gonna be yeah they're gonna pour a lot of patron but and a lot of white wine and yeah. vodka sodas you know <laughs> yeah well a lot of te- they have a whole bunch of tequila based okay. cocktails they're gonna yeah, sell yeah. a bunch of those um, uh but you you having created your your fair share of tequila cocktails and worked at your fair share of places including the pastry war. What did you think of the house margarita? The house margarita was good. I, um, it was, it was good. It was good. It was not. Um, I'm a, I'm a really, I'm a crazy person as far as juice is concerned, and so I would have almost 
throw myself on the ground if they would have given me pasteurized juice. So no, pra- fresh juice. So fresh juice. Praise emoji for fresh juice. Uh, but um, could have used a little more of the juice. It was very tequila forward. Could have used just a little bit more of that. I mean, there. To- I don't think there's any problem with that. But you know, but yeah. that's just me. Um, I'm a little slushy. Um, but uh, no, I mean the. The margarita, I got a frozen margarita, was good. Um, I had a glass of white wine. Um, okay, one mini beef. When you're greeting someone at around happy hour, just tell me that you got a happy hour. Like, it's from your, your happy hours from four to six, you know? Like, I don't know, maybe it's because I thought it was kind of a bar. But I don't I don't know. I mean, that's just it. It's like I would like to be told that it's happy hour. You know what I mean? Right. You so you basically you have to flip over the menu and see that it's happy hour to figure out what and the is happy on hour the happy is hour good. menu. The happy hour menu is good. The happy six dollar house cocktails and five dollar glass of wine. wine. And, and then like there's like four dollar like mezcal and like a four dollar tequila. Sotol, or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, a four dollar Sotol. You know, I mean, it's like. It's a really good happy hour. You know what I mean? They really don't need the happy hour business because um, there, there was there was a ton of people there and there was a ton of babies. Which well, it's is- the Heights. It's a very family-friendly yeah. dining environment. Yeah. Uh, but the Heights seems, I mean, it's it's always funny. It's always tricky with Heights restaurants because they decide in like the first three months whether they love you or hate you. Yeah. And if they hate you, you close in six months. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Calle Onze seems to be off to a, a pretty strong start. Uh, we had a little bit of food. Yes. Chips oh, and salsa. Salsa is good. Warm, Warm. nicely, spicy. Yep. Uh, uh, chips ke- good. Um, yeah, guacamole. Guacamole. Like guacamole. Yep, delicious. And, yeah, uh, and five bucks. So not the biggest portion of guacamole in the world, but I don't like paying $8 for guacamole. Yeah, whatever. Uh, um, but now, quesadillas. Quesadillas with the house-made tortillas. Those quesadillas were what's up. Those tortillas were really nice. Um, the cheese was wonderful. Like, like everything was really like these, what were, what were these tacos al carbon that you ordered? Yeah, on those big, fluffy, house-made flour tortillas. I thought they were... They, I, the beef was a little chewy, but uh, the flavor was good. I mean, just I, just in general, it was it was good. Um, I will have to say the only reason I even I even thought about, I even heard about it was I had some people that live in the Heights. They were like, man, I can't believe those guys open so late in the day. And I was like, what time is that? And he's like, well, we live in the Heights. You have to be open by 10 or 11. And I was like, what? 10 or 11? He's like, yeah, you know, we've got kids. We've got to start drinking early. To get these kids to bed, and I'm like, oh, yeah. That's so they're interesting. not. So so they're not doing lunch yet. They're yeah. talking about it, and they're not doing brunch yet, which they will do. I was I was like, they just got to, you know, our friend Charles Bishop is kind of helping them get that place off the ground. Yeah, they're trying to take it slow a little bit, but they do a great brunch at Edison and Patton, and they will do a great brunch at Calle Onze once they kind of get their their hands around this monster they've created. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not that, it's not that small. And I will tell it, you know, if you're going to go with a party of five, six, eight, mm, just be ready to wait. You know, that place is meant for twos and fours, you know? Um, and I think that that's something that I don't know. I mean, I really think that, you know, I, I talked about it earlier. Um, these days you have to be able to either be a full functioning, very large restaurant, um, 
you know, a fully fun or a, full, a very fully functioning bar that has seatings for large parties for bars now, like as far as bars concerned. Like, right. Their large seating is on the patio. Yeah. Which this time of year is problematic. Yeah. Uh, in a few months will be really nice. Yeah. But right now it's real melty. <laughs> it's real true. Melty. <laughs> uh, but I would go back to Calle Onze. I want to try more of the menu. There's some cool stuff on that menu. There's a Nopalis ravioli I'm real curious about. Uh, a couple other things. Yeah. I but, mean, I think that I think that uh, Heights is going to – I think they're going to do really well. Um, I wish it was a bar, but, you know. Well, and, of course, they're going to get some interesting competition uh, in the next, let's say, six weeks or so when weeks. Ford Fries Tex-Mex Restaurant Super Rica opens where Bernadine's used to be. Hmm. So Again, a restaurant. It's good, but I'm just saying – Good to build that following now. Get yourself nice and established because having tried Super Rica in Atlanta a few weeks ago, they're not playing around. Okay. All right. So, uh, Linda, before you get out of here, uh, you're about to throw some big party. So tell us about what you're working on. Well, um, so this week, or I'm sorry, next week, we're going to have a spoiled Latina day and I'm going to be Working with Jack Daniels, um, Corbell, Tart, Macy's, uh, Los Cucos, um, but I'm going to be doing some cocktails for them, and I'm gonna um, going to be doing some Latin inspired flavors. So um, Jack Daniels uh, wants me to do. Uh, I'm going to do some watermelon agua fresca business with Chiro, uh, which is an aloe liqueur and. Um, I'm also going to be making some house-made ginger beer for another cocktail and top it off with, you know, fresh pineapple juice and coconut sparkling water. Okay, so what day specifically is that happening and where is it happening? <clears throat> so um, it is going to be um, – so it's sponsored by Houstonia. Sorry, Eric. Ugh. <laughs> Come on, calm down. And uh, that's going to be next Sunday from 4 to 8. And um, so, so next Sunday, the uh, the 15th, next Sunday, the 15th. And um, uh, just RSVP at Jack Daniels, H-T-X at gmail.com and uh, see if we can get you to come by. It's a, a Latin inspired uh, brunch cocktails. OK, because I don't. Am I allowed to say the name of the party? No, it's the SL party. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So jackdanielshdx at gmail.com is how you RSVP. Yes. Okay. Linda Salinas, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. And I will be right back with uh, Mike Lim and Michael Lee. So stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. One of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. It's been really fun to watch Eighth Wonder evolve from its sort of humble beginnings in a little corner of a warehouse to now a gigantic warehouse, the huge backyard that they call Wonder World, where you can go before sports games, especially with uh, soccer season and baseball season heating up. Eighth Wonder's brewery is conveniently located uh, within walking distance. You might see my colleague Fred Fowler walking around there. I know it's a favorite spot of his. And there's always something new to try at 8th Wonder. Like they just released their Procrastinator Session IPA, the official beer of doing nothing. 
They're going to have their hip hop series rolling out here in the next little bit. And, you know, you can always count on Eighth Wonder Beer to be refreshing, delicious, and fresh because it's made right here locally all the time. So thank you to Eighth Wonder. And here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Mike Lim, the chef of Tobio, a new sushi restaurant in Katy, and one of the managers, Michael Lee. Uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you so that people can hear your voice. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Mike, I always like to start at the beginning uh, in these interviews, and so just can you tell me a little bit about how you came to become, how did you become involved in the restaurant business? How did you develop an interest in, in sushi? Oh, so I, will, I was growing up in the restaurant when I was in Korea. And my parents, uh, parents were chef and we owned the restaurant. So it's just, you know, fam, we start with the family business. So it's how do I get into the restaurant business? And then how did you develop an interest in sushi specifically? So when I came to United States, my uncle uh, is a sushi chef, and I was working there for uh, as a, wait, a waiter. And I saw his passion, and that's what I wanted to, what I want to do in my life. So, I just, uh-huh. and so you worked at a, a bunch of different sushi restaurants in San Francisco, and eventually you made your way to Morimoto. Mm-hmm. What was I mean? He's obviously one of the most famous sushi chefs in the world. Um, what did you learn at that experience? What was that like for you? Oh, uh, before um, before I, I I had a chance to work in Morimoto, I was an executive chef, and just giving out all the things to become uh, going to work in Morimoto, be more professional. Uh, there was a lot of professional chef uh, working there, so I learned a lot. Of course, the skills and you know more Japanese cuisine and. Yeah, be more, I polish up my uh, professionalism as a chef. Uh, and then eventually you made your way to Roca Accor, which is what brought you to Houston. Mm-hmm. How long did you work for Roca Accor? Roca Accor for five years. So we started with us opening San Francisco, and I, I, I got promoted as a corporate chef after a year. So I would start traveling uh, Chicago, Arizona, and you know, I had a chance to open the Houston location. How much did you know about Houston when they told you they were sending you to Texas to open a, a restaurant there? I, I was a little scared. I saw like some movies that like, oh, oh I'm, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> I, I knew it was really hot, but, you know, it was a good opportunity for me to try out the location. And it was great. <laughs> yeah. So what did you what was the biggest surprise about Houston for you when you moved here? Weather. <laughs> the barbecue is great in Texas. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I wasn't living in a big city, uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco, for 20 years. So coming here is like I learned a little bit about uh, relax, think about my life a little bit. Not like bigger city that always um, thinking about surviving and all the traffic that I have to deal with. So. <laughs> Um, because you decided to leave Roca Accor, right? So mm-hmm. what, what, what prompted you to make that decision? Why did you decide the time was right to leave Roca? Mm. One of the very, uh, 
One reason was my girlfriend. I met my girlfriend in the Houston when I was opening the uh, local core, and uh, we have to take a next step. And uh, we're probably gonna get married next year. We're planning to. But that was a bigger, big reason. And Lee, our general manager, reached out, and you know he have a new uh, project going on. So I felt that you know God ha- God always have a plan, and I thought that that was like meant to be. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the to the opening of of Tobio in just a minute, but mm-hmm. but Michael, let me just talk to you because I know you've worked at a whole bunch of Houston restaurants, quite a few. Um, where have where have you worked, and and how did you come to this project? Well, my very first restaurant is working at Papa's. So um, Papa's is such a big corporation that you know they're known for their training program, and moving up to where I was uh, a manager in training, learning every step of the way, and then working at uh, other kind of family-owned businesses, and then uh, brought me to Dish Society, where I uh, obtained my official, official first AGM title. And then after that, going to Pele Pele, learning a lot from Thomas, Michael Tran, and, and Paul. Yeah. And then, so, and then you, but you also worked at Roca Accord. I you? did work at Roca, yeah. So after Pele, I, uh, I stepped down and to kind of learn a little bit more about my management style, uh, and accepted a uh, server position at Roca Accord, where I met Lee, and I met uh, Chef Mike, and then I worked with Lee until he told me there's a new project as well. And, you know, working with Lee, uh, I learned, learned a lot. Um, certain, you know, two different styles of management. Um, but then we learned to work together to make things happen. Um, so then whenever he brought us over to Bill, then he told me Chef Mike was coming. I was like, I'm signing away. <laughs> um, all right, so, Mike, let me just ask you, how did, how did you get sold that, uh, a sushi restaurant in Katy, Texas was the right next move for you? Mm. It's just a believing what this God's plan is. And, you know, uh, the Houston indi- uh, the sushi industry is growing. A lot of big companies and a lot of uh, sushi restaurants are moving to the town. And I believe uh, I just want to be like Begin something in Houston. Um, and Michael, I mean, you guys have been open since May. What's it been like kind of getting this restaurant off the ground? Challenging. Uh, you know, of course, mentally, physically, you know, we, the three of us are really putting our all into it. Um, a sushi restaurant in Katy, it's, it's the type of sushi restaurant we are looking forward to. And wanting to do is a, a little different from what Katie is used to. Uh, we get told that every single day by our guests. But then there's the guests who come in. They tell us, like, we are so happy you're here. That's like music to our ears. Uh, so when we hear that, it's like what we're doing, we feel is right. Uh, and we just continue to push forward and know that what we're doing is the best interest of what we believe in. And then in hopes that other people will also believe in us as well. Um, yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm curious about this because... You've been working at some pretty upscale restaurants. I mean, certainly Roca Core is, is very elevated. Morimoto, obviously, is very elevated. Um, here you kind of have to balance the maybe some of the creativity with, you know, people want like spicy tuna rolls and stuff. Um, is that a challenge for you? Or, or how are you finding the response to some of the more creative things that you're doing at the restaurant? Uh it's more about 
what is all food? Uh, what is the food about? You know what chef really want to make and challenging about finding best product and putting out that what we want to present for the restaurant. And we believe in that someday it's gonna work, and some people are gonna realize that we really care about what we do, and not just making like what you say like spicy tuna, California rolls. We believe in that. We hope that somebody actually realize, you know, we're different restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, do you have people that come in and say, you know, what is uni, for example? I mean, are you, you know, you have an uni tasting on the menu. D- do people know what that is, or are you having to sort of teach them what that is? Um, so. Uh, w- when we first talked about the menu, uni was something that we were very skeptical about. Um, but we've, what we have learned in the opening since May is that uni is probably one of our number one selling uh, items right now. Uh, so with that is why we decided to put the uni flight on there where people can taste three different types of uni from around the world. Um, there are people there who don't know what uni is, um, so we kind of just give them the full flavor, flavor profile of what to expect, what not to expect. And... Um, and if they're adventurous, if they're adventurous, then we would love to, uh, like, trust us. Yeah. Do you have to be like, we'll buy this for you if you don't like it? I have not. Okay. I, ha- I have not. Because I would say that uni is a little bit creamy in its texture and that it tastes a little bit like standing on the beach and smelling the sea air. That's, that's always how I've sort of sold it to people. You do have some like that, but some of them are actually quite clean and where you don't get that full uh, flavor profile of the ocean, in a sense. Um, the uh, like the Hokkaido uni, you know, those are that one's a little more on the oceanic side, but then super clean. Right, so every every uni is uh, is super different, um, and being able to offer the flight uh, gives everybody the chance to try the really robust ones and the really clean ones um, to be adventurous with us. Uh, and then similarly, I mean, you have a pretty robust cocktail program. Oh, people love our drinks. Yeah, uh, I know that's uh, I know that's kind of Lee's role in the world. But but just talk a little bit about some of what you're doing in terms of the ingredients you're using and and how that's being uh, presented. So the cocktail program, um, when Lee was uh, kind of approaching us and letting us know what he his image and his uh, his thought process on that is. We're not a full craft cocktail bar, but we do enjoy making in-house syrups, uh, infusing um, different types of like lavender. We uh, Lee made a, a clove syrup last week, you know, just to kind of make for our, like our family drink to kind of be a, uh, to experiment with. Um, and then we also kind of take in consideration of our guests and what they enjoy, and then Lee makes a cocktail based on what they enjoy. Uh, so it's a very we make it to our guests' liking. And then that's kind of what we like to live. Also with the food as well. Like uh, you were saying about the, uh, the raw food. People actually enjoy raw food in Katie, and we love that. Yeah. Um, Mike, I, I know this is kind of tricky, but I, I noticed that when I dined there um, last week that, that you presented a sashimi platter that looks that visually looks a lot like the sashimi platter that I had when I went to Roca Accor. How do you How do you balance kind of the, the things you created for them um, in terms of, of letting them kind of keep their signature items with your own sort of creativity and doing the things you want to do? 
So sashimi uh, is really traditional, and it's not like I'm uh, copying them or not. The presentation about uh, keeping the ice underneath is keeping trying to keep the freshness on the fish. And uh, the standards on the loka when I joined, they had uh, like some standards, but I made a little bit like fine fine tune on the loka. So I, I guess it's pretty similar as a loka, but. Um, with our own twist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing in terms of your nigiri or maybe your sushi rolls that's different than what you did before? Mm. Maki is uh, sometimes I feel like we didn't have a creativity in big corporation companies. And right now we're just tasting like, every day. We're trying to make a new menus and trying out like different ingredients with the nigiris and find out the best products. And I feel like uh, I have I had a time to hands on more about the food. So I'm thinking the standard is getting a uh, little uh, bit more higher every day. And Michael, I know you're contributing some ideas on the hot side of the menu. Uh, I had a, a soft shell crab bow that apparently is your creation. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but do you, do you find that, that kind of blending some of the, the more ambitious ideas with some more accessible fare, are you getting a, a good response? I mean, cause I mean, everybody knows fried soft shell crab, right? Like whether, whether that's in a bao bun or between two pieces of bread, I mean, people, people instinctively understand that dish. Yeah. Well, I mean, for soft shell, it's something that uh, a lot of our guests really enjoy. So we kind of sit back and think. What can we do to change? I mean, it's as simple as, you know, putting it in between uh, a bow uh, and adding a little bit of a chili oli and fresh lemon juice to kind of pop that citrus note on that. You know, it's it's something uh, that is simple, but then it's a wow factor because of all the flavor notes when you do bite into it. You get the crispy soft shell. You get the um, the avocado in there, the freshness of the cucumber. Uh, it's 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 a. Uh, We've gotten a lot of good feedback from that. The, the uh, soft shell bow has actually been selling quite a bit and really excited to see that. Very happy to see that. Right. You're, you're also selling Japanese beef. Yes, we are selling uh, Japanese wagyu as well. Um, do people, do people kind of, do their jaw, does their jaw drop when they hear what that costs or, or are they buying it? Um, it's a bit of both. Uh, we do have people in there that do buy it. They understand what wagyu is. And for the people who uh, don't know what uh, Japanese wagyu is really about is when we explain it to them, um, they and then they do their jobs do drop about the pricing, um, but when they try it, they say it was well worth it. So, uh, and then Mike, I know you have uh, a pretty ambitious idea for something called the fish box uh, that's going to be kind of a, an evolution of the omakase concept. Could you kind of explain what that is and, and what people can expect from it? Oh no, chef! It's it's your dish, so you're gonna you're gonna have to take this one. Uh, okay, uh, so we're getting uh, the fish box from the Chikichi market in Japan twice a week, uh, Tuesday and Friday, and we don't know what's inside the fish box, so uh, we just open up what we're gonna do with it. You know, making sashimi, nigiri, and aging edges the fish for a couple of days and make a cold dish or uh, the hot dish. 
So there's a lot of things that we do on experiment, a lot of things, and coming out, um, thinking about coming out next dish. And so, so we should explain that uh, Skiji is the, the fish market, the very famous fish market in Tokyo. Yes. So this is the, the freshest, best quality fish that's coming, that's being flown in from overseas. Yes. Um, and how many people is this tasting sort of designed for? Is it like, do you need four people or two people or? Oh, uh, it's minimum six people. Okay. So because there's a, um, I think uh, the six to, uh, yes. Yeah, because there's a lot of fish in the fish. Yes. <laughs> so we want to make sure that it's uh, it's the people, whoever do sign up for the fish box, it's, uh, it's worth the value. Um, because when we have a fish box special, um, we want, there's so much fish in it, and when they pay for the pricing of it, um, we rather uh, kind of do the costing for six people instead of just making two people pay for the fish box. Um, there's so many different fish in it, and it's so random that we don't know what's in it until we receive it. Um, so Chef kind of thought that uh, doing a set pricing on that to where it would be enjoyable for six people. So do we know, have you figured out what the pricing, I know because you, you're still rolling this out, but do, do we know what the pricing is going to be? Uh, the pricing we set is uh, 125 per person. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, so that's going to be 125 per person. We're doing, uh, we want to do a minimum to maximum six people. If we do any, any over six people, then the experience is not there. At the end of the day, we are still about the experience. Um, and when Chef has six people to enjoy the fish box special, um, his attention, you know, he wants to make sure that you have his full attention. So with six people uh, is the uh, comfortable number that Chef is at right now. Right. And, and I should say, you'll, you'll sit at the sushi counter and you'll get to watch Chef prepare all the various dishes right in front of you. Uh, and I will say uh, Tobio has the, the fish cases integrated in the counter. So you're not looking over the, the fish cases. It's a little bit in, in that in that one design element, it's a little bit like what MF Sushi has done. Uh, not that you're stealing anybody's design, but just that, but just so for people who've been to MF Sushi, they can sort of understand that that you really get to watch the chef work. Um, chef, let me just ask you. I mean, it, it kind of puts you on stage. Do you do you feel like a performer when you're when you're working? I mean, are you conscious of the fact that people are watching every knife cut? Uh, I'm sure that I'm not. I'm not nervous when I'm on the stage on the sushi bar, not like this in the radio station. <laughs> yes, you know. I think Kimberly, uh, Kimberly came in once. You know, I, I try to enjoy with the guests. That's what it's all about. Yeah, just making good food for them and enjoy like interact uh, with the guests. And I think, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really. I'm really comfortable in, in the sushi bar. So Chef, whenever he's behind the sushi bar and he's doing a sushi makase, he's doing, or it may be the fish box special, he, um, standing behind there, he understands that he's on show at all times. Uh, so he tries to hold a, a very professional um, kind of attitude, but at the same time as when he's taking care of somebody, he knows how to relax and, and really enjoy his time with them. Um, so Michael, let me just ask you then, I mean, you guys are really only a couple of months into this, but... Do you have some goals for where you'd like to be kind of six months to a year from now? I mean, um, you know, best sushi restaurant in Katy seems like kind of a low bar. So what are your, what are your goals professionally? So, you know, um, it's funny you, you bring up that, that phrase because for us, you know, our very first month, 
um, you know, we we had um, someone say that, you know, Houston's next best sushi restaurant is in Katy. And, you know, that's something that we still hold dear to our heart now. Um, our goal is six months to a year from now um, is, of course, to become you know, the best sushi restaurant in Katy. But then not just Katy. We want to become like a destination point for Houston, for people who are coming from out of town. Uh, we currently do have people making a reservation now coming from Houston. Uh, we had a couple come in Saturday that that lives downtown, but they heard about our omakase, and they wanted to experience it themselves. So we have people coming from Houston to see us as a destination spot to try our sushi omakase. Mike, for you, chef, what, what should people know about Tobio when they when they come for the first time? What's the what's the one thing they should keep in mind? Uh, it's in the shopping mall, and that they cannot find our restaurant that easy because the tray is blocking right from the restaurant. <laughs> Um, but you know, we want to, we want to get the feeling we really care about the customers, and we try our best uh, to make make them happy, and that's why we are here for. Michael, what about you? What's the what's the one thing that people should know about the restaurant? That every time they come in, uh, food will always be consistent or better. Uh, with the different styles that chefs trying to incorporate, but then the experience will always be different. Uh, every time they come in, they will have a wonderful experience to where every single time they're like, every, it's a new experience every time. No matter how many times you've come, they've enjoyed it every single time, but they experience something new to make them want to come back. All right, well, I always like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Five fun, easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, Chef, I'm going to start with you. What's your favorite ingredient to cook with? Mm, Anything living in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, how about you? What's your your favorite ingredient? Uh, As of right now, um, yuzu. I like messing with yuzu. Uh, Mike, what's the first band or singer you ever saw in concert? Wow. I think it was a uh, Jay Z and Beyonce uh, concert. That's that's a good answer, Michael. How about you? Does a uh, a choir concert in high school count? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I've I've never been to a concert or um or see anybody live. All right, we're gonna work uh, on that. All right. <laughs> uh, Michael, what is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a restaurant with a drive-through? Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Mike, what about you? Have you have you been indoctrinated into Whataburger yet? Now that you're a Texan, a Whataburger is great. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes we work like 16 hours a, a day, and then we're just like, oh, you know, I don't want to cook at home. So just grab, you know, that's good. Um, I don't know if either one of you are sports fans, but who is your? If you are, who's your favorite Houston athlete? Well, for me, um, I I mean, this kind of kind of you know just everybody, but like I would say JJ Watt right now. Okay, just because of what he stands for and what he does. Uh, outside of just playing sports. And then, gentlemen, where's your favorite place to get a taco? At home. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't have time to explore uh, in the Houston yet. So I, like, a- anything you guys have recommended, I, maybe I would like to try. All right. What's your favorite taco place? Nobody's ever asked me that before. Oh. <laughs> uh, I wind up at Tierra Caliente in Montrose, uh, Probably more often than, than anywhere else. But uh, if I'm feeling really ambitious, I, I like to go to El Ultimo on uh, Long Point. I think their, their tacos are really good. 
That's where me and Chef will go then. Hi, y'all. Um, Michael, give us the website and the social media and all that stuff for Tobio. How can people find you? Uh, for our website, it's uh, tobiosushibar.com, T-O-B-I-U-O sushibar.com. Uh, we can find, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Tobio, Tobio Bar. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for coming out today. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.